stay, please. I've been, I've been stuck in 1 John for a while. I keep going over it. We talked about 1 John, or we talked about uh, 1 John 2, I believe it was, last week. And uh, so now I'm in 1 John 3. And, I, and so I'm going to talk to you about, you know, kind of what God's been speaking to me about. And when I read the first chapter, you'll know where we're going, but um, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 13. You all know that. It's funny, I'm talking from 1 Corinthians, which is the love chapter, and Bill's not here. He'd be yelling right now. Bill, Bill is in the hospital. He had surgery on his knee. He's recovering. I went and saw him. But you can pray for him for a speedy recovery. So 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I were to speak with eloquence, I'm feeding back in my monitor. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but have never learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I owned to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. So he's saying, I could have the greatest revelations. I mean, I could go deep. I could prophesy so accurately. I could do all these amazing things. I could feed the poor have my body be burned, but if I don't have love, it's nothing. It's worth nothing. And so often we go after, we, we, we chase after these things. Oh, I, you know, I want to I wanna go deeper in revelation. Those are good things. I, I want to I be able to prophesy. It's a, it's a good thing. But our main thing should be that we have love. That we love. It goes on to say in verse 4, love is large and incredibly patient. This is what love looks like. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seeks its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what's wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best of others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. Love never fails. So we're going to talk about love this morning. And, you know, usually when you talk about love, you think, you know, butterflies and stuff, but... You know, as I've been studying this, love is a wonderful thing. Love changes us, but love requires something of us. 
So Father, as I speak your word today, as we go through your scriptures and and study through them, Father, I ask that you speak to each of our hearts. We open our hearts to hear what you have to say. Our ears to hear and our eyes to see. Father, we want what you want. Father, we're hungry for you. We desire more of you. Father, we want to go deeper in you. So speak to us this morning. Speak to us this morning, Father. And use me however you want to use me. Not about me, but about you, Father. Jesus, thank you for being with me. Hallelujah. So John 13, 35 says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love and unselfish concern for one another. By this, they'll know that you follow me. By their love for one another. Another version says, by their love for other believers, by this they'll know. And I wonder how much love we have for one another, for other believers. It's easy, it's easier to love unbelievers because we have this theory of once once they get better, once, once they come to know Jesus, they'll change. So we can love the unlovely, but other unbelievers, they know better. Or believers, excuse me, they know better. And it says, by this all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How well do we love? 1 John 3.10 and we're going to stay here for a while in First John. I'm going to keep coming back. We're going to keep referencing this. So if you're reading along, you can hold your finger in First John. Here is how God's children can be clearly distinguished from the children of the evil one. Here it is. Anyone who does not demonstrate righteousness and show love to fellow believers is not living with God as his source. So this is how you're distinguished. You show righteousness and you love fellow believers. And notice it says, if you don't show love, you're not living with God as your source. If you're not loving, then your source is coming from somewhere else. Verse 11, it says, the beautiful message you've heard right from the start is that we should walk in self-sacrificing love towards one another. We should not be like Cain, who yielded to the evil one and brutally murdered his own brother, Abel. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers righteous. So don't be shocked, beloved brothers and sisters, if you experience the world's hatred. Yet we can be assured that we have been translated from spiritual death into spiritual life because we love the family of believers. A loveless life remains spiritually dead. Everyone who keeps hating a fellow believer is a murderer. And you know that no murderer 
has eternal life residing in him. Did you catch that? Everyone who keeps hating a fellow believer is a murderer. Matthew 5, 21 to 22 says this, you're familiar with the commandment that the older generation was taught, do not murder or you'll be judged. But I'm telling you, if you hold anger in your heart toward a fellow believer, you are subject to judgment. And whoever demeans and insults a fellow believer is answerable to the congregation. And whoever calls down curses upon a fellow believer is in danger of being sent to a fiery hell. This is no joke. Whoever holds anger in your heart. In the message it says it like this. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. Words kill. So are you holding anger in your heart towards fellow believers? Is there, is there people that God's called you around or people that you know that you're holding anger towards? Back to John, 1 John 3.16, it says, this is how we have discovered love's reality. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Because of this great love, we would be willing, we should be willing to lay down our lives for one another. This is love's reality, that Jesus sacrificed for us. So we should be willing to lay our lives down for each other. This is what love looks like. That I would be willing to lay my life down for you. This is what the Father requires of us. He says, I sent my son for you to lay his life down for you. Now you lay your life down for others. It's who we are. It's part of who we are. It's part of our DNA because we belong to God. We lay our lives down for others. Verse 17 says, if anyone sees a fellow believer in need and has the means to help him, yet shows no pity and closes his heart against him, how is it even possible that God lives in him? If anyone sees a fellow believer and, doesn't, and knows they have a need and doesn't help them, how is it even possible that God lives in them? You see, I told you this isn't mushy stuff. This is serious stuff. I heard it said like this once, if God puts someone on your heart and you 
don't help them. If God puts a need for someone, God shows you a need that someone has and you don't help them, you are mistreating them. Beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory. This is verse 18. We only talk about, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. We know that the truth lives within us because we demonstrate love in action, which will reassure our hearts in his presence. Notice it says, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. Real love is action. When I was a teenager, uh, we listened to DC Talk. I don't know if anyone knows DC Talk, but you should look it up after service because they're awesome. And they sang a song called Love is a Verb. And it was a really hip song back in the day that we would do the running man to and stuff. And if you remember, if you remember that dance move, if you don't, I'm old. But it talked about love being an action. Real love is an action. Real love means that you're doing something. You're not just saying something. In the world today, we love to post on social media that we love. I love this people group. I love this race. Oh, I love, I love, I love. But you don't see anybody doing things in action. They're just talking about it. That's not love. Love is demonstrated. Love is shown. Many realize, many don't realize that love requires a, selfless, a selflessness that many are not prepared to do. Love requires a life laid down. It requires it. Galatians 5.13 says, Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. That sounds amazing. Freedom. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. We talked about this last week. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that, that that's the natural realm. And he's saying, you, I have given you complete freedom. You are free. He says, but don't use that freedom to set up a life in the natural realm. Don't use it for selfish things. It says freedom means that we have become so completely free of self-indulgence, so completely free of the pride of life, of the lust of the eyes, of the lust of flesh. You become so completely free from it that you become servants of one another, expressing love in all we do. That we become servants of each other. That we wouldn't use our freedom to become selfish, all about me, I got things to do. What about me? What about me, myself, and I? That we would not use that freedom for that, but we would use the freedom to become servants. What about them? What about her? What about him? What can I do? How can I serve? Here I am. This is love. This is a life laid down. This is a life that follows Jesus. Back to 1 John 3, uh, verse 23. So 
These are his commands that we continually place our trust in the name of his son Jesus, that we keep loving one another just as he commanded us. So these are the commands. Continually place your trust in Jesus, keep loving one another. For all who obey his commands find their lives joined in union with him. And he lives and flourishes in them. We know we have proof that he constantly lives and flourishes in us by the spirit that he has given us. So he says, for when we obey his commands, we live, we flourish. John 15, 9 to 17 says, I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. Verse 12, so this is my command, love each other deeply. Then it says, as much as I have loved you. So this is my command. <coughs> this is it. This is the command that I'm giving you so that you, your joy will overflow. Will overflow. And he says, love each other deeply. But then I underlined the word as much as much as I have loved you. That's how, that's how much you love. How much did Jesus love you? He gave everything for you. He gave it all. He gave everything. It was all about you. He came and served. He came, laid his life down, and he says, now, this is what I command you. This is what I am requiring of you, that you love each other as much as much as I have loved you if you go back when it says in verse 11 my purpose for telling you these things is that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. This sounds hard. Okay, wait, you want me to be a servant? You want me to get low? You want me just to love everybody and forget about myself? That sounds terrible. He says, no, the reason that I'm telling you these things is that the joy that I'm experiencing will also be yours. That there's, there's something to this love, that joy comes when you love each other as much. See, in the previous couple of scriptures we read ago, it says, use this freedom to love each other, to serve each other. Don't use it for your selfish gain, for your selfish ways. And here's what happens is many of us are searching for our happiness, for our joy in selfish things. We're not happy I'm not happy with, I'm just, there's something that's just, I'm not happy, but you're living for your own gain. And you'll never be happy. Jesus says, love one another as much as I loved you. I'm telling you this. I'm commanding this of you so that 
the kind of joy that I have will be yours, real joy. In 1 John 4, it says, in verse 10, it says, this is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. Many of us are waiting for people to love us before we'll love them. We're waiting for people to show kindness to us before we'll show kindness to them, before we'll show mercy to them, before we'll open our heart up to them. We keep a wall and it's like, I'll wait to see how you react to me. How good you treat me before I'll be nice to you. But wait a sec, it said just before Jesus said, you love people as much as I loved you. Then the next verse he goes on to say, I loved you first. It wasn't anything you did. It wasn't because you turned and looked at me and smiled and said something nice and gave me a good compliment. Gave me some money when you knew I was down and out. Invited me out for coffee. Invited me to your house. No, he says, I loved you first. So if we're to love people, each other, as much as Jesus loved us and he loved us first, that means the ball's in your court. That means you love first. That means you're looking for someone to show kindness to, to show mercy to, to show love to. Ephesians 5, it says, Therefore become imitators of God. Copy him and follow his example. Imitate him. Follow him. What is he doing? How is he loving? As well-beloved children imitate their father, then verse 2 it says, and walk continually in love. That is value one another. He says continually, continually walk. Day in, day out, walking in love, walking in love. Then it says practice empathy and compassion, unselfishly seeking the best for others, just as Christ has loved you and gave himself up for us and offering in a sacrifice to God a sweet fragrance fragrance. He says, practice empathy. Practice compassion. Practice unselfish seeking. Practice it. Doesn't mean you're going to get it perfect right away. It means it's something that you're constantly seeking, constantly after. I know I have this issue with my face and it doesn't look happy all the time, even if I am. They call it a resting face, and I'm not going to say what else they call it, but <laughs> because I'm on the stage. But it's a problem. It always has been, and so lots of people will think, oh, she must be mad at me, or oh, you know, she, whatever. Uh, when I'm thinking, or even when I'm just relaxed, it just looks mean. I can't help it. And so on a regular basis, we'll be out for you know, supper or whatever. And my family will always be like, Mom, your face. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so I'm constantly aware, try to be aware of my face. When I go through Starbucks parking lot, you know, I'm like, 
you know, I order my coffee and then I give them money and I'm concentrated on something and I have to remind myself, oh, smile at them so that they don't think you're mean. And so, I'm, but I'm practicing it and one day I'll just be like this all the time. But, I, but, I, but I'm practicing it because I don't want people to think that I hate them. But I'm practicing. When, I'm, when I go to the store, when I go to the grocery place, I'm constantly practicing, trying to, I'm not perfect at it, but I'm trying to practice to show compassion. Practicing. If I see somebody that, that I think could probably, you know, get over themselves, I remind myself, compassion, compassion, compassion. Practicing. Because practicing makes perfect. That one day it just becomes the way we live. Reminding myself, this is how I'm supposed to be. Then I want you to see, it says, Practice empathy, compassion, unselfish seeking, the best for others, just as Christ loved you and gave himself for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet fragrance. This kind of life is pleasing to the Father. This kind of life, when you show compassion, is worship. This is worship. Worship isn't just on Sunday morning when the band is playing. Worship isn't just when you're praying at home and you're, and you're worshiping God. Worship is how you conduct your life when you go out and you show compassion and, and you show kindness. This is pleasing to the Father. This is worship. This is a sweet fragrance to Him. Matthew 25 it says, when the Son of Man appears, in verse 31, in his majestic glory with all the angels by his side, he will take his seat on his throne of splendor and all the nations will be gathered together before him. And like a shepherd who separates the sheep from the goats, he will separate all the people. The sheep he will put on his right side and the goats on his left. Then the king will turn to those on his right and say, you have a special place in my Father's heart. Whew. Come and experience the full inheritance of the kingdom realm that has been designed for you before the foundation of the world. For when you saw me hungry, you fed me. When you found me thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I had no place to stay, you invited me in. And when I was poorly clothed, you covered me. When I was sick, you tenderly cared for me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. Then the godly will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and give you food and something to drink? When did we see you with no place to stay and invite you in? When did we see you poorly clothed and cover you? When did we see you sick and tenderly care for you or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, don't you know? When you cared for the one of the least important of these, my little ones, my true brothers and sisters, you demonstrated love for me. This is a sweet fragrance. This is worship. This is pleasing to the Father. In Luke 10, I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to paraphrase it. 
We have a man comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to be in heaven forever? And Jesus says, you know the law. Like, why don't you tell me what, what is it? And he says, well, it says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and love your neighbor. And, and Jesus says, yeah, that's right. Do that. And so the guy's like, okay, well, just what is your neighbor? Clarify exactly what you mean by neighbor. And Jesus goes into the story of the Good Samaritan. And he says, there was a Jewish priest. Excuse me, there was a Jewish man who had been beaten and left for dead, robbed, everything taken from him, left for dead, and he's laying on the street, and a Jewish, Jewish priest comes. And he sees him, and he crosses over to the other side, hoping, I'm assuming hoping, that nobody saw him see the guy laying there, but crosses over to the other side. And leaves him there. Then a Levite, also a minister type, comes, sees the guy laying there, left for dead, beaten, robbed, crosses over to the other side of the street and hopes that maybe someone else will come along. Maybe he even had a little compassion, but he was in a hurry. Crosses over to the other side of the street and leaves him. Then a Samaritan man comes, has compassion on him, shows mercy and kindness, gets down, bandages his wounds, takes him to, a, uh, takes him to an inn, says, take care of him, do everything that you have to do to take care of him. And, and when I come back, I'll pay the bill, whatever it is, I'll do whatever. He shows kindness. And so Jesus asks at the end of the story, Jesus asks the, the boy, he says, so who was the neighbor? And he says, well, the one that showed mercy and kindness. Jesus says, yeah, that's right. And I thought of this story and I thought, how many times in our life we're too busy. That we see someone bleeding, wounded, we're too busy. I've got time for that. Or their dirty is going to get on me. Their dirty is going to make me dirty. One of the things that drives me crazy is when I hear Christians say, oh, just their way of life is offending me. It's very offensive. So I've just, you know, I've had to back away because they're just not living for God right, and so it's just offensive. Or I, I deleted them off Facebook because they were just, it was offensive how they were talking. Come on. Did you ever stop to think that maybe they were just wounded and bleeding in front of you and needed your help? But it was offensive cross over to the other side. Somebody else can help them. Or maybe we're just too selfish. I got my own things going on. I got my own agenda. I got my own plans. I couldn't be bothered. Someone else can come along 
and do that, deal with that. These were ministers. They should have known better. It's what they were called to do. You're ministers. It's what you're called to do. And here's the crazy thing is the Samaritan, I, I, know, I think I've said this before, the Samaritan were hated by the Jews. The Jews thought that they were disgusting people. They wouldn't even go through the Samaritan's town because they disliked them that much. And here a Jewish man is laying on the ground dying and a Samaritan stops. You know what I think? I think that the Samaritan man stopped because he knew what it was like to have somebody cross over to the other side of the street and leave you. When Jesus said to the man, who was the neighbor? He said, the one who showed mercy and kindness. And I read that and I thought, mercy. The Bible says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Every time. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So instead of looking at that person who's bleeding out loud, who's airing all their dirty laundry, who's, who's, who's a mess, falling apart, instead of judgment, mercy, mercy. We're ministers, we're, we're ministers. This, this doesn't make me a minister. Standing on a platform doesn't make me a minister. Ministry is showing love, is showing the heart of the Father what we're all called to do. Second Corinthians 5.18 says, And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. The ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation means restoration to favor, restore harmony, make peace, repair, restore to friendship, settle, resolve. God reconciled you to him. You didn't earn it or deserve it. Now in return, when people do you wrong or hurt you, God is requiring you to enter into the ministry of reconciliation. That there are some that we have hardened my, our hearts to, even our family members, our mothers, our fathers, our sisters, our brothers, our cousins, whatever. We've hardened our hearts to them because they should have known better, they should have done better, they, whatever, they, they messed up. Maybe they were bleeding and they accidentally bled on you. But you've shut them out. You won't talk to them. You won't be a part of their life. Nothing to do with them because they should have known better. Guess what? You are called to the ministry of reconciliation. To reconcile is showing the heart of the Father. Christians, 
aren't supposed to be mean. We're not supposed to be mean. I'm just going to leave that there. Romans 13.8 says, Don't owe anything to anyone. I love that I thought, you see all over social media people, I know this means something different, but when I read it, I thought, you see on social media people like, I don't owe anyone anything. I don't owe them an explanation. I don't owe them nothing. And it says, don't owe anyone anything. Oh, except you have an outstanding debt to continually love one another. This isn't going to end. You have an outstanding debt to continually love one another. You owe that to someone. For the one who learns to love has fulfilled every requirement of the law. Matthew 5, 43, it says, You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy? I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you and not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. Loving people is who you are. This is who you are. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, Grow up. <laughs> Love it. You're, you are kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Grow up. You are kingdom subjects. You are part of the kingdom realm. You are representing a kingdom this is part of your God-given identity. My identity is I love. I love. I love fellow believers. I love people. I love. Ephesians 4 says, so I, the prisoner of the Lord, appeal to you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That is, to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior. A life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. With all humility, forsaking self-righteousness and gentleness, maintaining self-control, with patience, bearing with one another in unselfish love. It's all humility. Forsaking self-righteousness. 
not puffed up. And it says, and gentleness, maintaining self-control. Are we gentle with one another? Do we have self-control with one another? Or do we fly off the handle? Do we say whatever we think we want to say? Whatever we feel at the moment? Do we just fly off the handle and say things to each other? To someone else about someone? Do we have patience? And do we bear one another? Do we carry one another? In unselfish love. Do we think about others? In verse 33, it says, oh, sorry, Matthew 12, verse 33, it says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is recognized and judged by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man from his good treasure brings out good things. The evil man from his inner evil treasure brings out evil things. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will have to give an account for every careless and useless word they speak. For by your words, reflecting your spiritual condition, you will be justified and acquitted of the guilt of sin. And by your words, rejecting me, you will be condemned and sentenced. So it's talking about the words that we speak, the words that we say. What you say, what you say when you're angry, what you say when you're off guard reveals what's in your heart. You can practice nice things to say and you can say them, but what comes out of your mouth when you are angry, upset, whatever, that reveals your character. You are no different than the words that come out of your mouth. You're no different than the words that come out of your mouth. So you can, you can say, I love. You can say that because it's a nice thing to say. You can post it on Facebook, nice quotes under your Instagram picture, whatever. You can, you can do that. But in the heat of the moment, when you're upset at somebody, what comes out of your mouth? Listen to yourself. time for us to grow up. It's time for us to grow up. We're kingdom subjects. We belong to the kingdom of God. We act in a, in a manner worthy of our calling. We conduct ourselves differently. They'll know us by our love. They'll know us by our love. 
Not by the nice words we say or how we can quote scripture. They'll know us by our love for one another. That's our measure. How, how are we doing? And we measure it within ourselves, not, well, you know, Lois isn't doing a very good job of loving me. Robin, Robin doesn't like me very much. She hasn't been nice to me. No, it's within myself. How am I? Am I laying my life down? Am I being kind? Am I being compassionate? Am I giving everything that I can? Am I? Really? That's my measure inside of me. Am I living a selfless life? Could I be doing more? Because they're going to know us by our love. Colossians 3, 12 says, So as God's own chosen people who are holy, set apart, sanctified for his purpose, and well-beloved by God himself, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, which has the power to endure whatever injustice or unpleasantness comes with good temper, bearing graciously with one another and willingly forgiving each other if one has a cause of complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so should you forgive. Just as I have loved you, love them as much, as much as I have loved you. Because if we don't have love, all of this, prophesying, revelation, all of it, it's worth nothing if we don't have love. It's what the Bible says. If you don't have it, what is this? Adam, you can come. I believe, I really believe that we're on the very edge of seeing an incredible harvest. And I believe that God is taking us to the place where he's preparing our hearts. He wants us to get ready. To get ready, get your lives ready, get your lives in order. Get your hearts healed, get ready. And this is one of those that, as I was reading this, this is like I said, I was reading First John, I was like, my gosh, love one another it's so easy for us to love unbelievers because we think there's hope for them to get better but believers they should know better the bible says that they would know us by our love for each other so if the harvest comes in here and we're not showing love for each other, they won't stay. We can get all of this perfect. We can, we can flow seamlessly. We can, we can prophesy, but if there's no love, 
there is no love. Father, I thank you for the love that you've shown us that's been shed abroad in our hearts. Teach us how to love deeply as much as you have loved us. To lay aside selfish desires and selfish things and look at our brothers and our sisters differently with love. Laying our lives down for each other the joy that comes with it. Father, I pray for any person in this place that feels unloved. Feels unseen. Unnoticed. That your love would just surround them. Comfort them. Fill them that you'd be made known to them who you are, how deeply you love us. It's the love of God to go deep, deep in their hearts. Father, I ask that your love be revealed to us even more. How much you love us. How great your love is for us. Unconditional love. Be revealed. You are so good, Father. You are so good. Just thank you that in the days ahead we will be a people who love deeply, who love great, who love well. Thank you, Father.